2: Welcome back, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We got a new beta fish in the office. He's reddish and uh, reddish orange, and um, now in isolation because when we tried two together, that didn't work. Uh, so he seems to be happy in his isolation tank there. Uh, but we need a name for it. And I was crowd asking asking the audience uh, if you have name suggestions for the office fish. That would be great, listener Steve. Uh, suggested uh, since these beta fish are such killers, uh, let us not forget. Let us not forget what Marxism and communism is. We should name the fish Mao. Maybe, maybe, Mao the fish. Maybe, uh, culture and politics. I've struggled how to handle this story all day. That story of Alec Baldwin. Uh, let me let me tell you what I initially thought. And then I'll tell you what Alec, what uh, John Hinderocker thinks. It's better. My initial thought, I'm happy to be corrected um, because this is an issue of safety, obviously. But my initial thought was Alec Baldwin was one of the stars better known for taking on, condemning, in very hostile terms, the NRA for many, many years. And my first thought was when an actor obliges him or herself to go after gun rights, should they forfeit the money they earn on movies where they depict and are being paid millions of dollars for using those same appurtenances? Baldwin must have been in at least 12 movies where, he's, where, where, where he, he has and shoots and uses a gun, uses and shoots a gun. He's at the level he's usually paid a, we're talking somewhere between 30 and $50 million he's made off the use of guns, fictional or not. Does he have an obligation to maybe not do that or maybe donate that money to those causes? That was my first initial thought. My second one was, for all the condemning of the NRA um that he has engaged in in years past i think it's it's an example of him condemning that which he doesn't know about most everyone who encounters the NRA on a volitional basis knows them of course for their membership yes but first and foremost, for their training of how to use a gun safely. That's what I was thinking. I remember my first instruction from an NRA member on how to use a gun. I remember it, and if anyone thinks wants to, again, tell me things have changed or things are differently, different now, that's fine. But I remember the first lesson was never point a gun at someone, ever, unless, of course, you're in serious threat of bodily harm. But otherwise, never point a gun at someone ever. And then the person said, because it might be loaded, but you should always think it is. And it just seems to me, perhaps, 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 a few lives here, well, a life, some injuries, and a reputation would have been saved here. Instead of condemning the NRA witlessly, learning what they do, and maybe learning from them. That was my first thought. Um, John Hinderocker goes a little further, and I think it's probably worth reading to you in whole. Today's big news story is the fatal accident that occurred on the set of a movie called Rust, which Alec Baldwin is producing and in which he stars. It's not unimportant that he's producing it. Understand he's the boss of the whole set. Okay, He's in charge of everything going on there. And as we now know, Baldwin accidentally shot and killed the film's videographer, Helena Hutchins, and the same bullet wounded another member of the crew. And of course, certain tweets of Alex are also coming back to haunt him. Like the one where he took a picture of a police officer with his gun on a criminal. And Alec Baldwin tweeted, I wonder how it must feel to wrongfully kill someone. I wonder how it must feel to wrongfully kill someone. Hindaraka writes, It feels terrible as Baldwin is now. Discovering. The facts will come out soon, but mi- meanwhile, there are some obvious questions and observations John has. Many news reports have refu- referred to Baldwin firing a prop gun. Doesn't look like it was a prop. Seems clear it was a real gun. Baldwin pointed the gun at Helena Hutchins and pulled the trigger. Now, remember, Helena Hutchins is the videographer. She's the videographer. She's not a fellow actor or actress, if you want. He pointed the gun at her and pulled the trigger. There is only one scenario on which this is even remotely acceptable. If they were filming and the scene called for Baldwin to fire the gun directly at the camera. Maybe that is what happened. Maybe that's what happened. If not, Baldwin really should be in very serious legal trouble. You never, 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 never point a gun at anyone, let alone point it and pull the trigger, even if you know the gun is unloaded, even if the safety is on, even if your finger is outside the trigger guard, even for novice firearms people like me, the fact that you never, ever point a gun at anyone, even if you don't plan to pull the trigger, is so deeply ingrained that it's hard to understand how anyone could do it. If and only if they were filming a scene in which Baldwin was to point the gun at the camera and pull the trigger, would his conduct be somewhat understandable. Even then, as a novice gun person, I can't imagine doing such a thing without personally triple-checking the gun to make sure that the procedure was safe. After the accident, Baldwin reportedly said he had never before been handed a hot gun. It could be a misinterpretation of what he said. To my knowledge, hot means that there's a cartridge in the chamber so that if the trigger is pulled, the gun will fire. The term loaded is is ambiguous. We don't need to get point up, but we don't need to get caught up on that too much. I just would have thought maybe the phrase is live round, but it doesn't matter. This is a man who doesn't know guns. My point is that if Baldwin thought the gun wasn't hot that could well mean that he thought nothing would happen if he pulled the trigger this would make no sense if they were filming a scene where he was to shoot directly at the camera obviously the gun was supposed to fire when he pulled the trigger but it could make a lot of sense if he was fooling around and pointing the firearm at Hutchins as a joke it's almost impossible to understand how anyone on the set who is responsible for hot firearms could hand an actor a gun that is loaded with regular cartridges or even one regular round. Movie guns fire blanks, which, as I understand, are simply regular cartridges with the bullet removed. The negligence involved here is hard to understand, but apparently not unprecedented in the movie world. Alec Baldwin, as producer and star bears some responsibility for the safety on the set, wouldn't you think? And as noted above, I can't imagine pointing a firearm at a person and pulling the trigger without personally verifying the operation's safety. He was responsible for the safety on the set. Now, as John points out, look at the picture of Alec Baldwin that's gone on around the world, that's gone around the world. Look at the picture of him talking on the telephone. Clearly emotionally wrought. He's holding a mask in his left hand so that you can see he was wearing a mask. As John says, it's nice to know he was keeping everyone safe. Okay, I don't know what more can be said. I think John said it just about the way I would want it to be said. Just about the way I would want it to be said. I think the media will treat this with half as much scorn as it treated Dick Cheney when he accidentally hit a friend of his in a hunting trip. The friend survived, of course. But boy, Dick Cheney took it for about two weeks when the media... Wonder if the standard will be a little different. I mean, after all, we have a death in an injury, not just an injury here. I'm Seth Leipsin, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Be right back. You heard the ad for it, uh, perhaps during the commercial break. I'm so excited! November sixteenth, America. For which it stands, we're going to bring in Dennis Prager, Charlie Kirk, and Larry Elder, Orpheum Theater, America for which it stands, defending America in an age of authoritarianism and censorship. This could very well be the event of the decade here in Phoenix. (laughs) Can you imagine those three on one stage? Prager, Elder, Kirk. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, discounted tickets available if you become a Patriot Insider, but uh, all of that is available at 960thepatriot.com. I'll be there too, and I look forward to seeing you. It'd be a wonderful thing. I'm trying to name this fish. It's a beta fish. Got three suggestions, I think one by phone and two by email, uh, saying that uh, we should name it Alpha. We should name it Alpha because it survived the uh, the other fish. It's become it proved itself the alpha fish. Not exactly quite. It, it, those two fish did move on to uh, fish heaven or wherever. And uh, and so this is a new one, but Alpha Beta. It reminded me of that grocery store chain that was here for. Do you remember the Alpha Beta grocery stores? They. Um, they were, they were kind of nice grocery stores. They were here for a while. My only real memory of, of them more than anything else was their advertisement, which was uh, their television ad, which was done by Alan Hamill, and his tagline was, tell a friend. Tell a friend. His version of each one reach one. Uh, <laughs> Alan Hamill was uh, – uh, no one ever really knew who he was, I don't think. He just was a good-looking guy and a spokesman. But we later came to find out – he married Suzanne Summers. He was married to Suzanne Summers of uh, Three's Company fame. I don't think she ever did anything else. It's interesting those 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 two those two um, bombshell blondes of the seventies, uh, Farrah Fawcett and Suzanne Summers. They were often compared to each other. I don't think she did anything else much after that. And do you know, Farrah really only did one seat. Really only did, literally only did one season. The first season. Of Charlie's Angels, I she did a made-for-TV movie later, but that was about it. That was about it. Just that one season. Their personalities or their presence in the culture were so big. That's that's all they had to do. One season, anyway. Uh, enough on that. Speaking of America, speaking of the seventies, uh, and thinking about seventeen seventy-six, we were nothing promising to become everything, having achieved everything. Are we staring down back at a nihilistic hole? or we will become nothing. Gene Simmons of of KISS gave a talk to the Pentagon when they were a little down in the dumps a couple of years ago. I forget what battle was lost or whatever. They were a little down in the dumps over at the Pentagon and he gave a talk. And I'll tell you, it makes you want to cry as it made him cry. Can we, let's have a little Gene Simmons. Let's have a little America. I was born in Israel.
3: I know I don't look Swiss. (laughs) And uh, I'm a, a proud son of a concentration camp survivor of Nazi Germany. My mother was 14 when she was in the camps. Uh, we're, I'm measuring my words because I'm about to break up again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> again, My mother just passed at 93. but. Almost there. Ten seconds. Control. <laughs> if Americans could see and hear my mother, <clears throat> almost there. Talk about America, they would understand. And uh, I'll just cut to the chase. When when we first came to America, my mother let me stay up and watch TV with her and I couldn't speak English very well and my mother could barely get by she worked six days a week and at night we would watch the news and whatever and by 12 o'clock the three or four TV stations would go off the air and you would hear this kind of just noise and people presumably would go to sleep before then we saw a jet flying through the sky on TV a jet flying through the sky and a man in a very deep voice was saying something I couldn't understand it. And the jet then turned skyward and flew seemingly into the heavens through the clouds. And I remember what the man said and saw the face of God. And then it, it melted into the a black and white because in those days we didn't have color TV. The flag was full screen billowing. And I heard, you know, the the national anthem, and I didn't know what it was or what was going on, and it was almost time to go to sleep. It was late, and every time... uh, Every time my mother saw the flag, she'd start crying. As an eight-year-old boy, I didn't understand why, but from my mother's point of view, we were finally safe. I may, uh, uh, I may have been born in the country, everybody, give me two seconds. I may have been born in the country that people throughout history have referred to as the promised land, but take my word for it. America is the promised land for everybody. And don't be ashamed, don't hesitate. We need to teach young people to be comfortable with saying, God bless America. End of my story.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Gene Simmons. Thank you, Gene Simmons. More like that. mentions that phrase, touch the face of God. That comes, if it sounds familiar, and you remember Reagan used that line after the challenger went down. It comes from a poem Peggy Noonan found called High Flight by John McGee. And she said she knew Reagan would have known the poem from his childhood. That's what a good speechwriter does. They know what the speaker is familiar with, as well as the cadences, as well as what they want to say. To slip the surly bonds of earth. Put out my hand and touch the face of God. It's said we're a land still Without heroes. And and the truth is we're not. We're not a land without heroes. It's just that we elevate the mediocrity into heroism. And we diminish true heroes to places of mediocrity or forgetfulness, if not silence. Example of that? When's the last time, if ever, you heard that speech of Gene Simmons? I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. Interesting year, that, 63, the same year as the um, infamous and tragic, horrific, horrible Birmingham church bombing that took the lives of uh, four young girls, one of them best friends with Condoleezza Rice. As I was saying yesterday, there's a statue to them here at the Unitarian Church in Phoenix, maybe PV, off Lincoln. That which might have been it's called. You may have seen some of this man, Waddell's statues uh, in front of the Phoenix Theater downtown. But in any event, Condi Rice knows the issue of Racism, segregation, and American history very well because she lived it, <clears throat> and she doesn't uh, any more need a lecture about it from Joy Bihar than Einstein, as someone put it, than Einstein needs a lecture, or would have needed a lecture from Bob Hope or Carrot Top, depending on how chronological <laughs> how achronological you want to be here about physics. But we didn't, in our unresolved issues here, we didn't finish Condi Rice's appearance on the View. As she was taking on the three other race experts, starting with Joy Bahar, who is telling Condi Rice that Condi Rice is wrong. Condi Rice's point was the problem with critical race theory is that, as Condi Rice put it, black children should be taught that they are beautiful. They are beautiful in their humanhood and they are beautiful in their blackness. They just shouldn't be taught it at the expense of whiteness, just as whites should never be taught anything they achieve is should be done at the expense or hurt of another minority or blacks. And Joy, obviously, uh, was perplexed by all this, either because through willful ignorance she doesn't read what the kinds of things Condi Rice is talking about are about, and Whoopi Goldberg was not much more enlightened. But after she gave some examples, the dialogue continued. I think we pick back up with Condi. I'm not sure. We'll pick it out. Go ahead, Bill.
3: But, but again, if Whoopee. you have a teacher, history is going to be taught. Yeah, absolutely. History is going to be taught. be taught. And as we were talking earlier, you know, when you go to Texas, you talk to Mexican kids who feel like crap because they're being told they're less than because of the Alamo. The whole idea of teaching history is so we don't repeat it. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you're a good teacher, you don't teach to make a, a, a white kid feel bad. Right. You're supposed to say, listen. You didn't do any of this, but you should know what happened, I and, and, and 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 make sure, That's right, that, along with black kids and Native American kids and mm-hmm. and all the colors that be in school. I have no problem with, with letting people know what happened. Yes, but let's right. remember, history is complex. Mm-hmm. Right. It human is. beings Human beings mm-hmm. aren't angels now, and they weren't angels in the past. No. And so how we teach about our history is also important. But you have to well, – there is no way to hide the fact that white people owned black people. There's no, no way to hide, I, that. And, and no and I hide that. And I feel that's been an
2: Any more than there is any way to hide the fact that Muslim people owned black people and black Muslim people owned black Muslim people. And a lot of people owned a lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. And it was horrible and – the country that declared all men are created equal was the country that showed the world that it needed to go. But go on. Go on.
3: Uh, there's been this sort of rollback of history. People want to hide history. Oh, I don't. And, the, well, well that. yes, yes, oh, no. that, that is true. Uh, no. This is Sonny Hostin and telling Condi Rice. This, this stop that. This history.
2: is Condi, This is Sonny Hostin doing the, the typical liberal talking point about critical race theory, that people want to hide history. Remember... When uh, the head of the NEA, Randy Weingarten, said our teachers will be defended in teaching the truth and that it, this, this notion of critical race theory is a white dog whistle to hide and conceal American history. Oh, no, it is not. But anyway, I'll let Condi Rice answer. Let Condi go on. Go ahead.
3: Parents don't want children to hear about the real history. And when we teach children about the real history, I think that is when we will really have true racial reconciliation. People are being taught the true history. But I just have to say one more thing. It goes back to how we teach the history. That's what I'm saying. We teach the good and we teach the bad of yes. history. Yeah, but right. what we don't do is make 7- and 10-year-olds feel that they are somehow bad people because of the color of their skin. We've been through that, yeah. Yes. and we don't need to do that but again. We don't want anybody, anybody to feel that. Precisely. That's, that's the idea. That, 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 then that, that, what, that, that. what they need
2: to do over at The View is get over themselves. How much time do I have left in this segment? We got a, got about to hit it. All right I'll say another word about this on the other side. The only thing Whoopi Goldberg said that was right is we need to learn from history so to, we don't repeat it. Exactly exactly. Might we start with the notion of desegregation and might we start with the notion that Thurgood Marshall proposed to the Supreme Court in his brief on behalf of Brown versus Board of Education when he said, quote, "Distinctions by race are so evil, arbitrary, and invidious. That a state bound to defend the equal protection of the laws must not invoke them in any sphere, not on behalf of whites, not on behalf of blacks. To do so is evil. That's what Marshall said. Learn that history, whoopee. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. One other thing I wanted to do. Robbie George, Robert P. George. Maybe the best political science, active political scientist in the country over at Princeton. We've had him on the show any number of times. You look at his credentials. There's not a better credentialed political scientist in this country. He's great. Prager, you got him. To talk a little bit about what we were mentioning earlier, which is these these distorted and twisted notions of freedom, like Joe Biden provided to the world last night on CNN. What are rights? What are freedom? Before COVID infected brains, I'm not talking about lungs, before COVID infected brains in this country, Robbie George did this a couple few years ago on Prager University. I think it's worth your while. Bill, would you carry it away?
1: How did the framers of the Constitution of the United States seek to preserve liberty and prevent tyranny? Pretty basic question. Here's the answer I usually get from my students. Well, professor, to protect the individual and minorities against the tyranny of the majority, they added the Bill of Rights, and they gave the power to enforce those rights to the Supreme Court. Are my students correct? The editorial boards of the New York Times or the Washington Post and many members of the U.S. Congress would say yes. Unfortunately, the answer is wrong. I say unfortunately because it reflects a common misunderstanding of the Constitution. And that misunderstanding has led to a serious erosion of our freedom. Let me explain. Both the Bill of Rights and Judicial Review, the idea that the courts can decide if a law is constitutional or not, were hotly debated items when the Constitution was being drafted in 1789. The Federalists, the group led by Alexander Hamilton that wanted a national constitution, opposed including a Bill of Rights. They feared it would actually undermine what the Federalists regarded as the main protections against tyranny in the document, the limited nature of the national government itself. The Constitution did not envision a national government of general jurisdiction, meaning a government that could do whatever it wanted, but rather a government of enumerated and delegated powers, a government that had authority over only specific areas of American life. All other powers were to be beyond the scope of the national government and reserved to the states or to the American people themselves. That's why when political necessity forced the Federalists to yield to demands for a Bill of Rights, they took care to add two important amendments, the Ninth and Tenth. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And... The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. These amendments reinforce the idea that the national government couldn't just assume powers it had not been specifically granted by the Constitution. Unfortunately, these amendments have not stymied the expansion of the national authority. The power grab the Federalists feared, the national government taking more and more control over more and more areas of American life, took place. Not immediately, but over time, and especially beginning in the second half of the 20th century. That same time frame has seen a similar concentration of power in the judiciary, especially in the Supreme Court, so that now most Americans think of the Supreme Court as the ultimate arbiter of almost every social and political dispute the founders never envisioned the court in this role. How has the court fared in playing it? Well, there have been moments of glory, to be sure, such as in the racial desegregation case of Brown against the Board of Education in the 1950s. But it has also handed down decision after decision from Dred Scott against Sanford in the 1850s, which facilitated the expansion of slavery, to Roe against Wade in the 1970s, which legalized abortion throughout the United States, in which the justices have plainly overstepped the bounds of their authority by creating law from the bench, thereby further expanding their own power and that of the national government. Moreover, the Supreme Court has done little to stop the executive and legislative branches of the national government from unconstitutionally overreaching. Recently, the court found a way, by a bare majority, to uphold an obvious case of constitutional overreach by the national government, the imposition of a law or individual mandate, as it is known, requiring every citizen to purchase health insurance coverage as part of President Obama's signature Affordable Care Act. The government defended this mandate as a legitimate exercise of its expressly delegated power to regulate commerce among the states. The trouble is that the mandate does not regulate commerce at all. Rather, it forces people into commerce on pain of a financial penalty. But why did the issue get to the courts at all? Congress and the President should have recognized and honored the fact that the Constitution simply does not empower the national government to impose a mandate on the people to purchase products, whether health insurance or anything else. We've drifted a long way from the original vision of the founders. The further we've drifted, the more powerful the national government has grown and the less free Americans have become. Freedom can be taken away, but it can also be given away out of sheer ignorance. If we Americans, we the people, want to get some of that freedom back, we need to read America's founding documents. All the freedom we ever wanted is there. I'm Robert George, professor of jurisprudence at Princeton University for Prager University.
2: The only, the only attorney that I know of, by the way, who represented Mother Teresa in the federal courts in the United States of America, Robbie George, that was before all this COVID stuff. We used to talk like that. A lot of us conservatives used to talk like that often at almost every conference. It's the kind of thing you'll hear at the Federalist Society, much berated at Yale University right now. And we were told we were nuts and we were crazy. We were nuts and we were crazy. You just watch how fast that government grew and assumed power since Robbie George gave that lecture about four years ago. It's an interesting, fast, fast slide. Lincoln might call it the theology of the day. Let's turn it back. Yeah, we should be able to say with our founders that They did give us a republic, and it is up to us to keep it. It's also up to us to lose it, or as Robbie said, give it away. Final thought on this when we come back. We need to talk about cowboys again next week, I think. They keep taking hits. I didn't know a cowboy was all of a sudden an anti-woke, anti-progressive caricature of America. I just didn't realize it started with the Maxine Waters, then they went after um, who was the football commentary, Bradshaw, for calling someone a cowboy in a complimentary way. It's just weird. We made our country. It's part of our country with cowboys, and they were all races. Anyway, tacking off of Robbie, what Robbie George was saying about fealty to the Constitution, I like to... Speak about the Constitution by quoting my professor, Dr. Harry Jaffa. The preamble of the Constitution crowns its enumeration of the ends of the Constitution by declaring its purpose to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. That's interesting language. No words of the Constitution reveal the intention of it more profoundly than these. The preamble is the statement of the Constitution's purposes, and this culminating purpose embraces and transcends those that have gone before. Alone among the ends of the Constitution to secure liberty is called a securing of blessings. What is a blessing is what is good in the eyes of God. It is a good whose possession belongs properly only to those who deserve it. We remember that the final paragraph of the Declaration of Independence appeals to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. It is by the authority of the good people of these colonies that independence is declared. It is because of this assurance of their rectitude that this good people and their representatives placed a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We commonly call blessed those who enjoy in great measure health, wealth, and freedom. And so it is that men pray for these things. Yes, it is. And so it is that we should pray for our country. Until Monday, thank you for thank you for everything this week. Thanks for spending some of your day with us. I'm Seth Lepson, God bless you all and class dismissed.